0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey,
1: everybody. Today's guest is Fee Waybill, lead vocalist and songwriter. the san francisco california rock band the tubes together we take a look back almost 40 years into the rearview mirror and break down the writing recording and inspiration behind their top 10 us hit she's a beauty taken from their 1983 album outside inside fee tells an amazing story of walking through the seedy underbelly of san francisco known as the tenderloin and how this inspired the lyrics to the song Fee was equal in praising both Toto's Steve Lukather, who wrote and played guitar on the track, as well as producer David Foster, whom he credits with dialing in the arrangement and all the nuances of the song. What an interesting band and story. I told Fee that had my band existed back in the early 80s and we had ran into the tubes, we would have been fast friends. Their shows were kitschy bursts of slapstick comedy, all thrown together on a shoestring budget, something I can completely relate to. Oh, and be careful what you preach. The Tubes always flew the flag of doing their songs in the original keys they were recorded in. Something that Fee says has gotten a bit challenging as the years of war on, but I'm happy to say they've never faltered on that promise. Very cool. For all this and a whole lot more, stay tuned. Fee, how are we today? I'm good, Chris. How about yourself? I'm fantastic. Where, where am I talking to you from?
2: I live in Los Angeles, in the hills of Los Angeles.
1: Very nice. Very nice. Where do you live? I live in the foothills of uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Oh. <laughs> I'm in different hills over here than where you're at.
2: I, I'm down with Tennessee. That sounds good to me.
1: <laughs> sounds, like a, sounds like a lyric right there. Well, I, I'll tell you, Fee, man, I have went back and taken a crash course in the Tubes catalog and you guys just uh have some gems of songs this has been been uh so cool for me leading up to to talking to you your first record was released in 1975 the self-titled album the tubes uh with the underground hit white punks on dope okay. hey,
3: myself, well, I
1: Four more studio albums followed and a live album. Uh, the band released Outside Inside on April 4th, 1983, which contained the smash hit, a top 10 U.S. hit, She's a Beauty, they're going to be talking about uh, today. And uh, the album was the band's second release on Capitol Records, as you were previously on AM. So, can you take us back uh, to, to 1982 83 when you wrote She's a Beauty?
2: I lived in San Francisco at the time. We, all, we started the band there. And, uh, I wrote the lyric first, the most of the lyric first, I really didn't have the title first, but in San Francisco, there's kind of a, a red light district. Okay. You know what I mean? Like kind of the, where the prostitutes are and it's the seedy kind of part of town and it's called the, the tenderloin
1: that's over by the Warfield.
2: Exactly exactly down near the warfield and market street right
1: that's a pretty uh, pretty crazy area to this day <laughs> uh yeah
2: it's getting more and more crazy and so we were staying i so at the time gosh i don't even know why i was there we used to play this club called great american music hall of course which is right next door to a, a strip club and I, I was walking around, to, I don't know, we were doing we were playing the club and I was it was lunchtime or we sound check or something like that. And this was, gosh, I can't remember what year it was. I think it was before we were on Capitol. I think when, when we were still on AM, because I had the lyric for a long time. And I'm walking around the tenderloin, right? And you know, in between sound check and or I don't know, they're setting up stuff, or I don't know. I don't remember. And there's a they used to have these things they don't have them anymore but they used to have these little uh like in front of them, a, ma- a massage parlor you know like a like a happy ending massage parlor and, uh, <laughs> and there's a like a kiosk it's like a, a like a imagine a telephone booth outside okay. of it right but it's got no windows it's all solid right and it's got a sign across the top of it. It says, "Pay a dollar, talk to a naked girl." <laughs> okay, and I had never seen one before. And uh, pay a dollar, talk to a naked girl. And I'm so, you know, I'm single. I'm I'm a young man, young single man. And I thought, okay, well, yeah, I'll go for that. And so I put a dollar in it, and the front window comes down the front wall comes down and inside is this gorgeous girl thin gorgeous young and she's got like a negligee on and and she starts taking her clothes off and she starts talking you know hi honey you know and how are you doing (laughs) and you know why don't you come into the massage parlor we'll really take care of you and blah 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 on and all kind of all kind of hooker speak and uh and then before
1: we actually get to any nudity the wall goes back up (laughs) so so this is just to chum the waters this is just the bait outside of the the actual joint itself
2: this is a teaser and okay and you know (laughs) so i put another dollar in and the wall goes back down and she continues to start to strip you know and i'm going you know and i'm and i'm a naive guy i'm Innocent at that point, I'm you know I'm an innocent young man. I hell I was just what thirty years old then, and (laughs) you know gosh, I said you're way too pretty. You could be a model. You're way too pretty to be doing this, selling your body and doing this kind of lame ass tease shit. And you know why don't you why don't you quit? Why don't you be in the tubes? I'll hire you. (laughs) You know. we need we need a, another tube's dancer. Can you dance? You know, and I'm asking all these kind of lame ass questions, and she doesn't. She's completely ignoring me.
1: Yeah, she's just at work,
2: and she's just right. She's just going, oh come on, honey, let's uh, let's do. Come on in, and I'll take care of you. And blah 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 blah. And before I we get to any you know, and I keep talking, and I guess each time it it's, it, was, it was like a minute or something before the wall goes back up. And so, before we actually get to any nudity at all, the wall goes back up. And <laughs> fuck. And you know, and and I just went, okay, well, this is a uh, exercise in futility here. This, she's she's you know she's making a lot more money being a hooker than she's going to be making it making a t- as a tubes dancer. And uh, so, because you know,
1: and at some point you're out of dollars, and I'm out of a couple of dollars, right? <laughs> and I thought,
2: okay, well, uh, you know, this is good. This is good lyric material, at least. So I write the lyric, and we don't use it, and I don't use it until we get to the second album with David Foster. And and I originally had it. You can talk to a naked girl, and and Foster goes, well, you can't say naked. You can't say naked. Uh, why? Because. It's not good for radio. You can't say naked. You have to change it. So I changed it. You could talk to a pretty girl. So
1: this song was kind of sitting around for a while. You had this experience and and you wrote about it. Now, do you remember, was the lyric completely written or did you just have a couple lines after this first encounter?
2: I had a couple of verses, but I didn't have a chorus and I didn't have a title. This was another song I wrote with Steve Lukather and and Foster. We wrote Talk To You Later also, because on the album before, on Completion Backward Principle, Toward the end of the album, Dave says, "You know, we need it. We have a ballad. The record company wants a ballad. Don't want to wait anymore. And we need a an AOR kind of rock song. So let's get together." And he put me together with Steve Lukather, and Lukather and Foster and I wrote "Talk to You Later" in one afternoon in the studio. And you know, obviously, it's a number one rock hit, and on the rock charts, and it's actually it was number one in seventeen countries. They never released it as a single in the United States; it was only on the rock chart. And uh, so, when we got to outside inside, Faz says, "Well, let's do it again. Let's the three of us let's get together and write." And and the funny thing is, both songs came from from Umberto, uh, uh, and Umber, you know, Umberto was a was a a a chilean guy and he was an engineer the engineer and he was a brilliant guy and we were we were in the studio and we're doing all this kind of tricky stuff and we kept asking him questions well what does this do and what does that do and umberto would say uh talk to you later instead of saying you know fuck off you know i don't ask me i'm busy (laughs) he would say talk to you later man Talk to you later. And so that's where I got the title for talk to you later. And then for She's a Beauty, Foz used to always say, beauty, eh? I mean, he's Canadian, okay? Uh-huh. He's a Canadian guy, and he's a hoser. And uh he would always say, oh, beauty, eh? Beauty. <laughs>
1: Let me stop you there real quick, a couple things. You talked about uh, having the lady be maybe a tubes dancer. Man, I went back and watched your videos. I'm telling you, if, if my band had had uh, uh, been around in the 70s with uh. your band and we had met, we would have been fast friends. Our whole our whole trip uh, in the early days was kind of vaudeville, shticky type Andy Kaufman humor and the stuff you guys were pulling. I mean, I know back in the day you would plant audience members, you'd go out and fight them. People thought it was a real fight. You had the pom-pom girl cheerleader go-go dancers on stage. Uh, backup singers you know you had this whole show Steve Lukather of course is uh, the guitarist for Toto uh, an amazing amazing talent and David Foster uh, who you spoke of uh, the Canadian producer he's produced everybody from George Harrison to Chicago Peter Cetera Boz Skaggs he co-wrote St. Elmo's Fire with John Parr so the level of talent here when you got with these guys and I had no idea that they were behind the song with you and it makes so much sense because I can hear those elements of toto and chicago within the track and it's so cool
2: yeah he uh when we did completion backward with david david he had never done a rock album we were the first rock album he ever did before chicago before any of them and uh, he had just done boogie wonderland with earth wind and fire and he was B guy and he, right. had a, he had a little band in canada called airplay and they did mostly r b kind of stuff you know, cover songs. And, and he had just written After the Love is Gone, which went to number one. And, and oh gone, how you me my it was kind of a whole new direction for us to do kind of a more popular kind of more poppy songs, more vocal heavy songs, more songs with an R&B kind of groove. Because when we signed with Capitol uh, in 1980, one of the deals was they said, well, you know, you've been with AM now. You've done five albums with a m You haven't ever had a hit get past top 40. You haven't really sold a lot of records. You haven't really been a, a, a radio kind of uh, presence. And that's what we need. We need, we need you to get on the radio, we need you to sell a lot of records. And we'll give you a deal. If you can pull that off, we'll give you a three record deal. But each record has an option. You know, at the end of the first record, it's whether we pick up your option or not, it'll be based on performance. And we went, well, okay, because we had no other choices at that time. Nobody wanted to hire us we were this kind of weird punk band that...
1: Yeah, where did you fit in in 1980? And now, the, the 1981, uh, that record, The Completion Backwards Principle, that was your first one with David, and, and that was your first one under Capitol. So now you're on the second record, and that option you're talking about, they could have dropped you right then, but right. they gave you they gave you the second record, which was Outside Inside, and uh, here you have this Top 10 smash.
2: Yeah, they, they did. And so it's funny. You'd think we were under a lot of pressure, but we didn't notice... We were too busy working on the show and art for Mm -hmm. art's sake and coming up with new ideas and a new set and, you know, spending every dollar we had on dancers and sets and props and costumes and choreographers. I mean, we had Kenny Ortega at that point. Kenny Ortega had never worked with anybody but but us. And Kenny Ortega is brilliant. I mean, we had this, we had the, the kind of brilliance in, in, in talent surrounding us. That was just unbelievable. And, uh, anyway, you know, like I said, we, we, we just, you know, they were going, well, you better have a hit or yeah. no, we just went, no, we want to build a gigantic stage set. That's round. Okay? <laughs> and the manager would go round Yeah, we want these big blue round towers, 10 feet wide and 30 feet high. And on top of them, there'll be spotlights. And inside of them, there'll be my quick change room or the guitar, quick change guitar stage. And and they went, well, you know, round is not going to fit into the truck. Okay. Round doesn't (laughs) fit in the truck very well. You're going to have to have a whole other truck because round doesn't fit together very well. Well, and we went, okay, fine. we don't care. Wait, get another truck then.
1: I gotta tell you, I'm 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 laughing with you, not at you, right? Now. I'm 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 giggling because uh you remind me so much of the early days of my band. I mean, we never even had a top forty hit, but we were out there, we had this uh, you know, rabid fan base. We were doing thousand to fifteen hundred seat rooms and we were always like, What can we do for the show? You know, the label would be like, You gotta do this, you gotta do that. It was all about the show for us that's where we were making money. We weren't making money on our records, but we were putting people in buildings and selling t shirts and and merchandise, et cetera. So uh I definitely, definitely can relate to that. Um, I want to jump into the song right now. Uh, the song is 3 minutes and 55 seconds. And, you know, you mentioned the term AOR a little bit ago. And for our listeners that don't know, that stands for album-oriented rock. And that was kind of a, a, a one of the big playlists at Top 40 Radio back then. And you guys definitely fall into that category. But I also feel like there was kind of like that post-punk new wave thing going on with this particular track that's, that's so awesome. It sounds... It's funny, it, it it sounds only dated to me because I know when the song came out, but it weirdly sounds fresh still today, the whole production aspect of, of this track. Right off the top, there's a synth, right off the top for about five seconds. Then there's these four synth stabs, almost like claps. The clean guitar comes in playing that main riff in A, that's so cool. And these big overdriven stereo guitars accent on the G and D chords. At around 15 seconds, some sporadic bass and kick and snare come in before we get into verse 1. Step right up, and don't be shy, because you will not believe your eyes. She's right there, behind the glass. You're going to like her, because she's got class.
2: (laughs) That was her. That was to pay a dollar talk to a naked girl. Right there.
1: (laughs) It's unbelievable that that's the the, the story behind this because I often wonder uh, on this show when I talk to people I I have preconceived notions of what this was about and I had no idea you know you, sometimes you know songwriters uh, lyricists have these incredible imaginations and they can paint these stories or it's just something they made up and the fact that this is real uh, is awesome so uh, what's going on here lyrically that maybe you haven't uh, haven't touched on yet you know
2: the the inspiration kind of for the song also was there was this movie by Todd Browning back in 1939 called Freaks. Do you ever hear of Freaks? No, have not. Freaks was a movie about a sideshow. It was kind of like it's kind of reminiscent of this current movie Nightmare Alley. It was a sideshow, and you know there was like the sausage boy and the bearded lady and the chicken woman with, which was a chicken with a woman's head and a, and Slitzy the pinhead if you see the video, that's why the step right up and don't be shy. He's like a barker at a sideshow carnival. And, uh, okay. So we wanted to do this. We were all big fans of this movie and we wanted to do, we went to, you know, we had just had a hit with the completion backward and we thought, oh, well, capital is going to let us do whatever we want. And we went to them with a storyboard about, a, a video that takes place in a seedy sideshow kind of carnival setting. Uh, there was this little funky circus in Southern California. It was called Circus Vargas. And it was like a Ringling Brothers on a 10 cent budget. You know? <laughs> Oh, man. And they would tour around Southern California. And we actually contacted, we wanted to set up the video in you know in they would winter in some big you know big lot somewhere here in southern california and we wanted to set up all this stuff and and do a video in their lot and have like the chicken woman and the sausage boy and all these freaks you know as part of the video and we put the whole thing together this massive mike cotton and prairie and kenny ortega and the video for she's a beauty and uh Capital said, "No way." <laughs> they said, "No, we're not going to let you do that. No, that's that's not going to go down well. We can't have Sausage Boy at MTV, <laughs> okay? Jeez. No." And uh, so we had to scrap the whole thing and come back with this little, you know, the thing that we had—the little, the kid in a little cart going through this, you know, this kind of a like a sideshow ride. And like the like the mermaid in the big aquarium, they wouldn't even let her be topless. We we got this girl with giant breasts. And we went, okay, well, we're we'll gonna put a mermaid suit on her and have her tits hanging out. And no, can't do that. Sorry, can't do that.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, this is also you know uh, labels were trying to get you on MTV too, and that was definitely had to be in the back of their minds.
2: Yeah, yeah, I know. But you, you got MTV was major censorship. They wouldn't let us, you know, they were, the the MTV guy was there going, oh, no, you can't have a You can't have, we made this big, at the end, the thing crashes through this giant paper screen, right? And on the paper screen was painted a gigantic breast, right? It's airbrushed that period. They went, no, you can't do that. You can't have a gigantic airbrushed breast that you crash through.
1: I do like that you're the carnival barker uh, in the video. And that red jacket, I went back and looked at performances. You still bust out that red jacket and that hat sometimes. Yeah, yeah, when, you, when, you play, yeah. when you play play live, it's super cool. Well, this first verse, uh, the drums and the bass, they come in on verse one over that same intro riff. And there's some really interesting space here. And then in, in verse one and verse two, the, the first lyric, step right up and don't be shy. And there's this. What seems like a really long break before you get because you will not believe your eyes.
3: Step right up and don't be shy. Because you will not believe your eyes. She's
1: right it's really interesting that there wasn't more lyrics or the, or, or the vocal didn't come in sooner there. Do you recall how that happened? And, and was that something that was always like that?
2: Yeah, no, it was always like that. That was the way we wrote it with Luke. We, did, we wanted that space in there. We wanted him to, to uh, be able to have his guitar speak through that kind of part. Well, we, and that was another song. We did the same thing. We got together early in the day. We wrote the song in in two hours. It was done, and that was it.
1: That's incredible. Now, with, now those lyrics that you had initially, at this point, when you say you wrote it in two hours musically, how, mu- how much of those lyrics were done at that point? Did you finish them up there?
2: I didn't have all of the chorus and I had some other lines like naked words that I ended up changing.
1: Well, we're going to talk about that word right now. We're getting into pre-chorus one. And I want to talk about that. The whole feel of the song changes here. I I wrote my notes. It's almost like it's another song. The heavy guitars drop out from verse one, this clean arpeggiated guitar with these keyboard pads come in and the bass here is is singing its own song within this part. The bass playing is just phenomenal. Yeah.
3: You can look inside another world. You get to talk to a pretty girl. She's a dream about.
1: You can look inside another world. You get to talk to a pretty girl. She's everything you dream about. And that second line is that pretty where you had naked, I guess, in there. You can talk to a
2: pretty girl, right? Used to be talk to a naked girl. She's everything you dream about,
1: right? Yeah, that that's one of the coolest pre-choruses of how, like I said, it's its own little song there for 10, 12 seconds. And right at the last line, she's everything you dream about, there's these vocal swells that take us into chorus one. Those vocal swells are the start of these harmonies on this first line of chorus one, which is just shy of a minute in the song, we're at 57 seconds, chorus one, but don't fall in love, she's a beauty, she's one in a million girls, she's a beauty, why would I lie, why would I lie? And on on the but don't fall in love, right off the top, I can hear those Chicago-style harmonies. Was there anybody from Chicago singing the backups on that part?
2: Bill Champlin. Oh,
1: wow. Okay.
2: Bill Champlin sang, Bill Champlin and Bobby Kimball and our Bill Spooner uh, sang the background vocals on that.
1: Okay, and Bobby Kimball, of course, is the vocalist for Toto at the time. So that's incredible.
2: Right, right. Yeah, it was Bill Champlin. I mean, at that point, like you said, uh, or like I said, he hadn't produced Chicago yet. This was before the Chicago records and before the, you know, the Peter Cetera stuff.
1: Yeah, this is definitely before Gloria Love, but I thought he had already worked with Chicago. So, so this is kind of uh you, you almost gave Chicago uh, some of their harmony sounds with this track.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, Bill Champlin, we knew Bill, Bill Champlin was also from San Francisco before he was in Chicago. He was in a band called Clover in San Francisco
1: with Huey Lewis.
2: Yeah. And, and we knew wow. him from then we knew, and he was, and and he was in LA, and I, I don't I don't remember how it all went down, but we he we knew he this guy's a great singer, so and so we had him come in and sing because they're so hard the parts are so I mean only Bobby Kimball could have sung parts that high I mean full voice you know because Vince at that point Vince I couldn't sing that high and of course I'm singing lead and Bill couldn't sing that high and Vince used to sing most of our high harmony parts but a lot of it was falsetto. And David didn't want a falsetto part. He wanted a a full voice, high screamer part. And
1: Bobby could hit those.
2: And Bobby could do it.
1: What do you want from life?
0: What do you want from life? Hey, everybody, we got to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. But don't go anywhere. We got a lot more with Feeway Bill from the Tubes.
3: Step into the world of power, loyalty.
1: now back to the show well talking about that post-punk new wave type thing here in the chorus when you say don't fall in love there's this synth whip sound that's panned off to the right, right. and there's also this new synth sound that's layered underneath it's almost you have to really listen for it, but it's very 80 <laughs> i put my notes very 80s video game sounding it's very oh. of the times but man without that in there it just wouldn't be the same song
2: Yeah, that's Mike Cotton. Mike Cotton was not really a musician. And we had the band, when we put the band together to begin with, you know, he said, well, I want to be in the band. And we said, well, what can you play? And we said, well, he said, well, I, I can't really play anything. And we went, well, you got to be able to play something. He goes, well, no, wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make wacky sounds, okay? And we went, oh, okay, yeah, you can make wacky sounds. So he went out and got this, this uh, early synth it was called an arp 2600
1: yeah wow
2: it was this big wall of wires and and xlr holes and and sliding you know and he could make all these he would and so he figured out how to make all these sounds and he, you know, this was way before
1: Korg. Those things look like old uh, telephone operators' patch bays. Exactly, huge, exactly.
2: <laughs> <Great> big, big, <laughs> hunky thing. You know, analog and and sliding. You know, faders that you would slide and and play with, and then wires everywhere. And we had no idea you know, what,
1: how to work one of those things. But he
2: figured it out and he came up with all this. He goes, well, I can make all these sounds. And we went, okay, great then, you're in the band.
1: I was gonna say, I'm so glad you gave him his chance because I can't imagine this song without those sounds. Again, this is this is a slice of album-oriented rock. It's a rock tune, but it's got these elements of, again, I'm saying post-punk new wave with the synths here. Am I also hearing some bongos or, or, or maybe a, a woodblock percussion in this chorus?
2: Could have been Prairie Prince on drums. I don't think Mingo Lewis was in the band by that time. He had branched off and wanted to do his own thing. Uh, but that's all prairie, woodblocks cowbell.
1: It's also something that, like uh, you hear on a lot of Toto records, and and uh where it's mixed in here, it, it's really perfect. I wrote here and I gotta say this, I can't I can't state this enough. I love where the bass guitar doesn't play in the chorus. Oh. Don't fall in love. Man, those pockets are awesome where the bass isn't. And I feel that they're just crucial to the feel of this part. Do you recall that taking place? Was that? Did David Foster say, hey, leave this empty? Or, or was that just the way they were recorded?
2: I, I don't really remember, but I think and it was all orchestrated by Foster. He had the orchestration of the thing from beginning to end. It wasn't like we played a bunch of shit and then he said, oh, no, we'll take that out. No, that's the way he orchestrated it.
1: Yeah, where where those holes are though, those empty pockets in this chorus of the bass, it's just it is so good, and the bass tone and where the bass sits in the mix is is absolutely killer here. The backing uh, harmonies are on the line, but don't fall in love. She's one in a million, and why would I lie? And those harmonies again, I just I hear that Chicago uh, Toto. Th- those harmonies are just are just so good. We come out of that into an eight bar reintro with the bass and drums doing this breakdown feel, uh, with those accompanying. Uh, guitars. Then we're immediately into verse 2. You can say anything you like, but you can't touch the merchandise. That's that window coming back up. No. Uh, she'll give you every penny's worth, but it will cost you a dollar oh, first.
2: He <laughs> never talked to a naked girl. That's where it all came from.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm picturing you walk around and for those listeners that haven't been to the Tenderloin, if you ever go down there be careful. Uh it's an interesting it was it, it was named the Tenderloin. It used to be the meat packing district down there. All a bunch of meat packing factories. I don't know if they're still down there or or empty or uh, apartments or whatever now, but uh interesting area. Uh pre-chorus too. <laughs> I love pre-chorus, too, because the song's building here. You can step outside your little world. Right prior to that, there's these ah vocal swells that come up there. You can step outside your little world, and then the backing vocal, step outside your world. You can talk to a pretty girl, and there's some ah vocal swells after that. And she's everything you dream about. And then those ah vocal swells come back again to take us into chorus number two. Chorus number two is a double chorus, but it's interesting. It's not just a, a double of the same part. We get the same exact first half, like chorus one. But I did notice something, and this these are the days of analog fee. So this wasn't like you're gonna be copying, pasting, in pro tools or right, computers. Right. The whip, the whip sound here is different on chorus two.
2: I've sung it so many times and listened to it so many times, but I never really, you know, examined it this deep.
1: I doubt I would pay attention to the whip in my song either fee. I'm not judging you. I'm just pointing out, pointing out that the whip is different here. And I thought that was really, I thought that was neat.
2: Yeah. Mike used to try to, he he would come up with all these sounds. Well, how do you, what about this? And he would play a sound and what about this? And he would play that. And Foz would just sit there and go, okay. Okay. Oh no. I like that.
1: Do that one. And again, what people have to remember, when I'm talking analog, this was all going down to tape. So when these synth noises and all this stuff, it had to be in time. He had to hit it right then. It was, you know, you had to know what you were doing. So uh, he, he may have seemed like a, a newbie with this big synthesizer. He was rolling into the studio, but he, he obviously knew what he was doing. Yeah.
2: Oh, well, I think by that time, you know, he had had that ARP 2600 for, you know, it was it was probably already falling apart and putting back together 10 times by then because it didn't travel very well it didn't if you stuck it in a truck you know when he pulled it out at the next gig something was wrong something was broken constantly it's funny quick story we we when we went out in 79 when we went out with the remote control tour we bought these five tv monitors big 25 inch box monitors and we had we used to have a video guy, T.J. McCose, and we had all this video, uh you know, that we pre-recorded and we would play on the on the TVs during the set. And we had stuff like pre-recorded where like in the middle of, you know, I would be doing Cowboy Fee and Quayle would come on the video going, what the fuck, man? Who the fuck is this cowboy? Getting him off the stage. And, you know, and I would talk to the video and the video would talk to me. We had all this kind of video interaction stuff going, but we didn't, you know, we bought the five TVs, but we didn't spend the money for the elaborate cases to put them in. Ah. So you'd step five TVs in a truck and when you get to the next gig, well, something was broken. The TV was broken. The plug was broken, this whatever. And by the end of the tour, all of the TVs were broken, and all they they wouldn't play video anymore. And it was all just static. Every TV had just static on it. And the funny, the hilarious thing is, the people who reviewed the show went, "Oh, this is so perfect!" You know, showing the you know the illegitimacy of TV. They've got static on all their TVs. You know, <laughs> as if you planned it. You know, as this this is on purpose.
1: All you planned was that you were on a shoestring budget. You couldn't afford uh, cases for these, but it ended up uh, at people thinking that it's part of your show and that 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 is great. This chorus, what I'm saying, the double chorus, I love the back half of it, Fee, because uh, it comes back in with those backing vocals, but don't fall in love, another whip sound. And this next line, it's almost got like kind of an r and kind of delivery to it, the way you say, because if you do, you find out she don't love you. Right. And then we get into the guitar solo and the back half of this song from this point out is so cool to me because the solo is still over that main riff, the verse riff with those guitars in the key of A. Uh And when it comes out of that and it goes to what I'm calling the bridge part breakdown that we're going to get to in a moment, that's pretty much a reworking of the pre-chorus, that part where it goes to chord wise Uh and then... The modulation part happens at the end that takes us to the key of A, which is your verse keys. But you've actually went up because all the other choruses are in G. So you went up a whole step in a key, but you don't hear the key change. That's what's brilliant about it. I I knew it was there, I could hear your voice was higher, but I'm like, how did they get there? And when I got the guitar out and broke it down, what a cool transition, and we'll get to that in a second. The solo's eight bars. Uh, Did Steve Lukather play this guitar solo? Yes, he did. I love this solo, Fee, and I'll tell you, this solo—it's more hard rocker mellow than it is a pop solo. It's got a pretty rough edge there. Did David Foster or anybody think it was a little too uh, tough for the song? No, I think
2: pretty much whatever Luke did, David loved. Okay, He could do whatever he wanted.
1: I love the solo. I wouldn't change a thing about it, but it is it is pretty raucous for what's going on here. It works perfectly.
2: I mean, that was a one-take solo. Like you said, it's analog. You, can't, you couldn't punch in a, a repair line in the middle of that. That was one take. And the modulation is very David Foster. He did that to a lot of songs that he produced with us. He always used to say, it has to pay off. The song has to pay off. It has to have a big chorus out, a big payoff at the end. You've got to, you know, you've got to come, okay? It's got to pay off. And a lot of (laughs) times, the way that he would get to that was a modulation a lot of times in a lot of our songs there's modulations
1: looking back on his discography uh they all have it uh gloria love hard to say i'm sorry by chicago "San Almost fire they got all those i can totally totally hear that now and it's, yeah. it's so good yeah. um we get into uh an eight bar bridge it's pretty much an instrumental part except on the third measure of this you just say one time step outside your world The bass notes here in this bridge part, they almost sound like the the bass. I'm saying bass notes. The bass part was that played on keys or foot pedals. I don't think so. Okay, it's still the bass there because it—it almost sounds like maybe it's the bass with something else. It sounds like there's some, uh, you know, uh, keyboard foot pedals. It—it it, it just gets—it gets bigger and it has almost like a slightly warbled sound, like it would have come from a keyboard there. But it's—it's—it's it, it's awesome.
2: That one line, "Step outside your world," was a line that that wasn't originally in the song, that wasn't written by Steve or David or anything, and we—I was. Singing the song in the studio. And when that came, it just kind of came to me. I said, you know, step outside your world. I just kind of came up with that on my own and stuck it in the in the vocal. And Foz went, that's pretty cool. That works. Yeah, let's leave that in.
1: Right. And it's it's a little bit of an odd lyric in the sense that it's not the main hook of the song. It's not like you know, you could have said one in a million girls there. or She's a beauty again and got that lyric in there. The step outside your world. Do you recall now? Because that is a call and response from pre-chorus too. you say you can step outside your little world and the backing vocals step outside your world. So was that an afterthought after you had thought about it for the bridge? Do you recall?
2: Yeah, well, I don't I don't recall. No. It just came to me and I sang it and it fit in
1: that part. But the producer liked it. And, and at that point you had a trusting relationship with him. You, you knew the guy knew what he was doing. Oh, yeah. and you, you kept it, that's great. Um, the keyboard's doing another new pattern here. It almost sounds like pan flutes to start, but as it goes on, it gets more 80s video game sounding as the part happens. And then right on the seventh measure, this big drum hit happens, and that chord modulation happens, and now we're in the key of A. <laughs> Okay. We went up a whole step. We're up higher, but the verses were all in A. So again, the way this song's constructed, you just don't hear. It's a genius key change. Yeah. Foster. That was Foster. So good. And you're, and you're hitting some notes there, buddy. At the end, there, there's some high, there's some high notes.
2: No God. I know.
1: <laughs> we don't think about that when we're in our twenties, do we? I really,
2: I, and, and we still do the song in the same key.
1: I know you do props to you for that.
2: I still, I still do it. And but I remember at rehearsal the other day, I can't remember what song it was. And I was going, God, this is so fucking high. I can't believe it. And, and I always just, I always used to say in interviews, oh, we never changed the key. We never lower the key. And I am so grateful. My voice is really still strong.
1: You sound awesome. I, I saw the most recent video I saw you was from 2019 and it, and it was great.
2: But we're, you know, and I'm, we're sitting there in the studio and I, I can't remember what song we were trying to sing. Uh, no, Not Again, I think was the song, the second song on Outside Inside, No, Not Again. And I'm trying to sing it at practice. And Prairie goes, dude, relax, Okay. You don't have to sing that. You were thirty years old then. Let's drop it down a half step, okay? I said yeah, but I always say that that we never change the keys. Yeah, well, don't say that anymore, okay? Uh-huh. Okay, go ahead, change it.
1: I need you to talk to our bass player because that's been his running thing for years. We we play in the same key. I'm like, yeah, I know. I can feel it every night. Yeah. <laughs> it It's, it, it's funny. You don't, you don't think about those things as, as a younger musician. Chorus three is another double chorus, same as chorus two, but there is some cool things I want to point out here before we wrap up the, but don't fall in love. The very first lyric with the, those harmonies on chorus three, there is a whip followed by a new sound, uh, the song is still building the now why would I lie at the end of the first half of chorus three the melody changes there again I love what you do there on the second half here but don't fall in love the whip and the kaka happen and as the caca sound is happening there is a whistle a human whistle panned off to the left Who whistled there? I think
2: I don't think that was a real whistle. I think that was more Mike. I don't remember whistling there.
1: It sounds like a like a, a quick whistle happened. It kind of panned off to the left. There was no human whistling. I don't believe. What? It was only forty years ago. I know, Fee, you don't remember if there was a whistle there? Jeez. Um, (laughs) We get to the end here. The song starts to fade. You get two more lines, but don't fall in love. She's one in a million girl. And then on the very end fade, you hear a why would I lie? It's the last lyric heard here at the very end of the fade out. And uh, the video game keyboard noises almost sound like hip hop record scratching here at the very end. You guys were ahead of your time there. It almost has that that scratching sound there as it as it fades out here and just such a cool production. Well, thank you. I mean,
2: it was actually that was the song that when we were doing She's Beauty, I can't remember if we were doing background vocals or some guitar part or something, but that was the song that I met Richard Marks in. Richard had written a song for Lionel Richie and he came out from Chicago to watch him record it. And while he was there, he said. I really would like to meet David Foster, and 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 Lionel said, "Well, he's just right down the street at the Lion's Share doing the tunes right now," and and so he he set it up for him, for Richard to come by the studio, and uh, he was sitting in the back of the studio when we were recording that, and at the end of the day, he you know he met Foz, and and he came up to me and he said, "You know, I really like your lyrics, man. You, would you write a song with me?" And I said, who are you? He goes, oh, I'm Richard Marks. I'm just a kid from Chicago. And
1: And this was a this was about four years before he hit. Oh, yeah. yeah. Still a kid. Yeah. At that point,
2: this was this was 83. He didn't have a deal. And he was just writing songs to try to place with other people. And he had he wrote a Kenny Rogers song and he wrote a Lionel Richie song. And he said, would you would you write a song with me? And I said, yeah, OK. And so we wrote a song and you know, here we are 39 years later, we're still best friends. And uh, in fact, I was just out to see him on last Thursday and we went for a big hike and had lunch and he played me, he's, he's got a new record coming out. He played me his new record and, uh, and I've been writing lyrics with him for, you know, whatever, 35 years.
1: Well, that's so cool. I want to talk about this real quick. So you've released three solo albums. Your first one was in 1984 called Read My Lips, followed by 1996's Don't Be Scared by These Hands. And most recently, uh, Fee Waybill Rides Again from 2020. And that's when you worked with Richard Marks. Uh, You have produced songs for a number of artists, uh, including Richard. I want to talk a little bit about uh, your summer tour you have coming up starting June 16th in Solana Beach, California at the Belly Up. Killer venue. I love that place. Oh, yeah. uh, and it continues all the way through august 14th uh wrapping up in billings montana i want to thank you for sitting in with us today and uh breaking down she's a beauty it's been a lot of fun man thank you
2: man that's incredible that you're you did such a massive background job on all that stuff you know i haven't heard i haven't talked about all that stuff for years that's great that was really great There's lots more
0: Krista makes so a podcast after a few words from our sponsors.
1: Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana?
0: Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of too much F.E. perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories
2: and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead.
0: And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a
2: TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11.
0: Do you enjoy the content and production of Krista Makes a Podcast? Do you have an idea for a podcast? or an existing podcast that you'd like to take to the next level, well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. At WeKnowPodcasting.com, we have over 25 years of combined experience in the pod field, and we're ready to help you succeed in the golden era of podcasting.
1: As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your best song via MP3 only and bio to band you might not know at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Fernway, an alternative rock band from Buffalo, New York, consisting of brothers RJ DeMarco on vocals and guitar, Tanner DeMarco on drums, along with Brett Robertson on guitar, Alex Dube on the bass, and Jonah West on guitar. Their music can be found on all the streaming platforms. Here's a snippet of their song, Compass Free. Sympathy.
3: The Wrap with Chris and Chris.
0: So, Chris, as you did your research on the tubes and fee in preparation for this episode,
1: did you start feeling more and more of a camaraderie with this guy before you even met him? Oh, I get him immediately. I mean, they they were out there. You got to think back then too. Your 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 contact with record labels it was if you got to a payphone or if a record label exec show up to the show. These guys were out on the road. They they were out there putting on these crazy productions on a shoestring budget. They like I said, go back and look at their videos from back then. They had these you know these dancers with pom poms. They they were out of their 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 dance steps weren't great. Their singing was off. It didn't matter. It was the vaudeville uh, shtick aspect of it that uh, that that's what I built a, a career on early on it was all those all those fun little elements and uh, yeah researching him the very very interesting band uh, went back that record of uh, the completion backwards principle the one before this I went and listed some tracks on that and I just you know they, they were right there I feel like they could have been been way more massive than they were in my research of this when I was getting notes together to send you
0: yes I did even to myself be like wow These guys remind me of like Less Than Jake. They're, you know, (laughs) thinking about their stage show. He said it when you're talking about him. He, I thought this was really cool and I totally believe him too that they didn't feel the pressure of writing the next album. They were thinking about their live show. They were thinking about how to take that to the next level. And you didn't get too much into that Kenny Ortega guy either. But believe me, Google Kenny Ortega and all the stuff that guy worked on. Even I think he's involved in like the high school musical stuff now. Mm -hmm. I think he's just been such a as far as like the visual aspect of music and and in the production aspect of things go, I think he's a really big name. And the people that came together to create this song between David Foster and um
1: oh uh Lukather. Uh, yeah, Steve Lukather from Toto. Just those those two guys alone, and I didn't know that Bobby Kimball, uh, vocalist for Toto back in the day, that sang on all those big hits, Rosanna. Uh, Africa that he did the backing vocals here, and I can totally hear it now. And it's interesting. I thought David had already worked with Chicago at this point, but Chicago came after this. This preceded that, and the fact uh, that you can really hear those Chicago layered harmonies here is, is really awesome. And you know, to to Fee's point earlier, you know, when he was talking about you know kind of being oblivious to the label, you only feel the pressure of having a hit when you've had a hit. Oh, right. now we got to follow this up. But they hadn't really had a hit for their first five records. They, had a, they got a new label deal, and the label's saying, "Hey, we got record options here. We could drop you at any point." But it's like, whatever. I'm worried about my stage show. I'm, I'm looking for the next person to do backflips on stage.
0: That was their thing the whole time, and it really seems like they had a cult following. And Chris, I had this in the notes. I know you couldn't get into the entire backstory of the Tubes because it's a, there's a lot of stuff there. It would have been yes. a two-hour-long episode if you'd have got into the entire backstory. But an important thing to note, and this relates back to the live show of the Tubes, is that about five or six years prior to She's a Beauty becoming this massive hit, they may have had a chance to have, you know, at least a lot more exposure. Whether that would have led to another song being a massive hit or not, it, you know, is in question. But they had a chance to play on like the early years of Saturday Night Live and some other like late night shows. But their management at the time didn't want them to go on there and just play one song because they were like no the tubes we want them to play a bunch of songs in a row because the transitions between the songs are so you know impressive and it's such a big part of the show and they didn't want to just go play one song on one of these shows so th- that ended up not happening and then it was I guess it was inevitable that these guys were going to have hits. They had a cult following and they had the surrounded themselves with the right people, the right producer. And I don't know, to me, that's, that's impressive. They like stuck to their
1: guns and one way or another, these guys were going to have a hit. I think to have uh, you know that restraint and, and and that integrity as a band back then uh, is, mm-hmm. is, is very impressive. The fact that they were able to say, you know what, this doesn't fully represent who we are as a band. Uh, we're we're gonna go over here and do this thing. Which again, like as you mentioned, it took another five or six years before "She's a Beauty" was a thing. But what a cool song! You know, I had mentioned to, to Fee a couple times that yeah, it's a rock song, but. Where do you stick these guys in with everything that was happening in the early '80s? They they were they were harder than the Cars, you know. They weren't as new wavy as maybe the Cars, but they weren't as hard rock as is some of the the other acts that were happening in the in the early. They kind of had their own space. They had a punk rock background,
0: and they didn't limit themselves to that sort of style. They were seemed like they were open to whatever. This is very much like a pop rock song, but then if you look into their catalog, there's all kinds of styles. I think the production of this song is really cool. This song rocks
1: to me when I hear it. Yeah, no, it's it, it's it's timeless in that aspect and let's not forget uh, producer David Foster's uh, <laughs> his resume, as I mentioned you know, everyone from George Harrison to Chicago Peter Cetera, Boz Skaggs uh, he co-wrote St. Elmo's Fire um, I mean, this guy, you know he, he kind of knew what he was doing, went on and did all those, those Chicago records were just massive. Yeah. Um, and uh, to go back and listen, I never would of thought and 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 th- yeah again thankful for this podcast i never would have ever thought i've heard this song tons of times but i never would have put the toto uh, chicago <laughs> connection together and now i can hear it all through the track every time i listen to him like oh there's the toto part Ooh, there's the chicago harmonies it's great
0: would you have thought that it was a song about a girl in a window at a,
1: <laughs> whatever, at a strip club or peep show or whatever that is? No, not at all. And that's, uh, yeah, you, <laughs> I've never seen a booth like that. I've, I've heard of peep shows, but not outside to lure the customer in. Uh, that was, right. uh, must've been, must've been something in, in the wacky seventies. And, uh, the fact that he was just so candid about it and he's, it's just, that's what the story was. There's nothing else. How, how else, how else can he be, but, but candid with it. And, uh, uh yeah, I did, it was a total left turn of, of uh where I thought these lyrics. Again, I, this could have been just somebody writing a story, a, a lyric that they just came up with, but uh, the fact that it was based on uh something true is, is, is pretty pretty cool.
0: Yeah, now when you read the lyrics it seems obvious. Now you can you can't even hear it some other way now. Now that you know the story, like at all every line seems to go right
1: along with that. It certainly does and I just like the fact that uh he, he just seems like you know, at this point in their career, they they were a working band. They were out there. I, I, I'm going back to the fact that they just, they already had this fan base. As, as I mentioned, you know, they they were making money, selling concert tickets and T-shirts. And if they had a hit, they had a hit, you know, and and it happened for them, which is, uh, which is great. And maybe if they they tried harder for a hit, it wouldn't have happened. Well, dude, another thing, keep in mind, all this stuff, the
0: visual aspect, the live show aspect, at what MTV started in what, 81 or 82? 81. 81. Well, that's like right around the time they had this hit. This hit's 1982, right? It came out on April 4th of 83, so yeah. Oh, 83. Okay, but all this pre-that, 1975 on, that's all pre-MTV. And they're already thinking so much about the visual part of it, whereas a lot of artists aren't. They're just
1: thinking about the audio part of it. So that's cool. They were thinking about the whole thing. Yeah, they were totally ahead of their time in that aspect. And speaking of being uh, totally ahead of your time, Chris, I think that uh, our listeners need to be ahead of their time and get on those five-star reviews. (laughs) Yeah, help us... uh, uh, How can I... (laughs) You can't do anything with that because that was the worst setup that we've had so far. (laughs) That was was so
0: confusing. (laughs) Help us. Yeah, I don't know. Hey, but the point is, leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like the podcast, once again, Chris, I'd assume if someone has listened this far into the podcast, they're probably enjoying it. I don't think they're hate listening for
1: this long. Probably. And if you didn't like that setup, I'll I'll give you a pass this week. You don't have to leave a five-star review or or anything at all because it was a terrible setup. But we'd really appreciate it. and if you haven't uh, already, join our Facebook group. We, Dude, we just hit 4,000 members, Chris. I'm very proud of that.
0: Right. I mean, I guess once you're 100 plus episodes in that, you know, things are, we're on easy street now, man. We're just rolling with the episodes. People are joining the Facebook group, leaving us five-star reviews all over the place. Maybe some people are listening and might even join our supporting cast. That's right. You can go to KristaMakes.com and for a few bucks a month, you'll get a bonus episode every week. You can be on Defeat the makes. There's lots of reasons to join, but the most important reason is you'll support
1: the podcast that you love. I mean, our podcast. <laughs> That's right. And if you haven't already, give me a follow on Instagram at less than Christy. want to thank this week's guest, Fee Wable, for sitting in with us and we'll see you next week.
0: Hey, everybody. This is Chris to Makes a podcast. Producer Chris Fafalius here. I think you like this podcast, so I'd like you to do something. I'd like you to subscribe to a podcast called A Band Called Punchline. Don't know the band Punchline? Well, it's my band, and we've been a band for 25 years. The podcast is a documentary-style look into our story, and it doesn't even matter whether you've heard us before. I promise, the story is that good and that weird. It starts out as a few friends playing music in a garage, but where it goes is wild, I promise. It's like the most relatable behind the music of all time because we never actually had a hit song, yet, But the things we experienced along the way makes this podcast like Forrest Gump meets Almost Famous. So, yeah, it would mean the world to me if you searched for a band called Punchline wherever you get your podcasts. And let us take you on a crazy ride back through time leading right into today, our 25th year of being a band. Hey, maybe you even have a new favorite band by the time it's all done. A band called Punchline is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Just subscribe to it, goddammit.
3: The number you have reached is one hundred point seven WMMs. It wasn't just a radio station; it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah! Down! The Wrath of the Buzzard WMMs Cleveland.
0: The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio
3: stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P R O H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.